Hey, Almost Founder, and welcome back to the most practical podcast for very early stage entrepreneurs. My name is Kurosh Gafari, and just like you, I'm a young founder who wants to build products that people love. Today, we are learning from James Eder, the founder of Student Beans, the marketing technology company that has helped nearly 160 million students save over 100 million pounds. Now that James has left his company, he is deciding to give back by spending all his time on coaching the next big founders. We'll attach a link to that in the podcast description below. Today, we will be speaking about this very heavy topic of monetization or making money with your business. When do you start asking for money and how do you do that? James has some pretty cool stories about the times he succeeded and the times he has failed. But before we get to that, this episode was done in collaboration with Cedary, the UK's most exciting student startup conference. The lineup is amazing too, with the CEO of Y Combinator and the founders of Entrepreneur First, BrewDog, Basecamp, Shazam, and many, many more. And by the way, it's absolutely free. The link to that will also be in the description. Now let's get to it. And as always, share this episode with some of your entrepreneurial friends who don't know how to approach this massive problem. Get ready to learn today to use tomorrow so as i said before we want to speak about monetization today which is asking someone for money for your product or your service for your business because without making any money you will probably die now to bring this to a perspective of our listeners so we are students we're really young all of us are probably first-time founders how was it for you just starting to ask people for money immediately? Because it's so easy to fall into this trap as in like, my product is not good enough. I'm not good enough. So let's give it out for free and test it out until it's really great. So I can ask for money for that. What was it like with you? I ended up when I was 17 doing a young enterprise program, which young enterprise, ultimately all of this has been learning by doing, right? So you can learn the theory you can do, but until you put something out and test it, you know, who knows? How do you know how to price something? And we went literally, it was the shops and services. And bearing in mind again, this is 1999. We were going to the shops saying that list your opening times, your closing times, it sounds very basic information, but none of this was online at the time. And I remember us charging, again, interesting similar model from Student Beans, 10, 20, 30, 50 pounds for a listing on the website. And people started paying. We made over 2,000 pounds over a course of a number of months with that experience. And I just remember walking into a shop, amazing journey where we walked into a shop, it was Friday afternoon, and this woman said, get out, wherever you're selling, get out of our shop, get out of my shop. And I just remember, you know, what do all businesses want to do? They want to make money ultimately. And I was standing there, and again, this is about belief and conviction in my idea. And, you know, and often probably ask, what's the worst thing that can happen and what's the best thing that can happen? Because often we just play this worst thing that's going to happen and you know, in that moment, like the worst thing that's going to happen, she says no. And the best thing that's going to happen is she says yes. And I asked her a few questions and I explained, look, I'm, and this is one of the essences, you know, you started the question saying, you know, many of us are students and first time founders. And ultimately, it's about telling that compelling story that gets people to buy in. You know, first of all, they're buying into you. And then it's the product and the idea and everything. And, um, so, you know, going in and saying, look, I'm from the local school, we're doing this, the profits we're raising are going to charity. There was almost kind of this compelling, there was no reason why they shouldn't spend 20 quid with us. Like it just, even if they just felt sorry for me, and I was just kind of excited about it and was like, you know, just, 
you know, work with me and this will be really useful. And even if you don't get any business from it, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? And so I would think, you know, there are different elements. One is just start with something that's just a no-brainer that validates the idea. You know, my, my eldest brother now works in Student Beans. He's been there for about uh, coming up to 10 years. And, you know, he goes, if one person will buy 100 people, will buy 100 people, will buy 1,000 people, will buy. But it's just, again, evolving, you know, the pitch and the presentation and coming back to Student Beans as well. I remember we decided to go to a non-student area just to practice the pitch. So if none of the businesses signed up, it didn't matter because we didn't really want them. And we even went into a charity shop and just been like, hey, we're doing this. Do you want to sign up? And like asking a charity shop for a discount kind of sounds a bit counterintuitive, but it was that experience of just practicing, practicing, practicing. And the more you practice, the easier it becomes. And you know, that, that's where you go. The other thing that's sweating is, is a book reference. I believe it's called Crossing the Chasm. In the first few years of business, people bought from me. And that was, I think, a big thing. And that's why it's about telling the vision, telling the idea. And it's almost entrepreneur selling to entrepreneur. You know, the entrepreneur sees you. It's like, oh, I want to support it. You know, let's do a trial. That's another, I guess, key message in any sales opportunity is to say, you know, with student beans, it was like, look, it's a three-month trial. And this is the introductory offer. This is the introductory rate. It gives you the opportunity to increase the price very quickly after the trial once you've proved and demonstrated it works. Similarly, when you're selling founder to founder, you're like, look, it's a trial, it's 5,000 pounds, it's 10,000 pounds, this is the objectives, and this, and even if it doesn't work, it was a trial, and I think that's kind of a key uh, motivation or kind of structure that can help you get something over the line, that helps you convince people. I just want to understand how you came up with the first initial prices. So how does one come up with the first price of a product? I know it will not be definitely right, but the way I look at it is that maybe first-time founders might be inclined to price a bit lower, which can be just as bad as pricing it a bit too high. So what is the usual pricing strategy? Um, yeah, I mean, what's interesting is there's... Um, uh, another book by Jackie Robert Cardini that talks about like, the laws of influence. And I think it's useful to share this story at this stage because pricing, you know, do we buy the cheapest thing? How many of you have an iPhone? The iPhone is not the cheapest phone. And Apple is not the cheapest product, yet I'm sitting here on an Apple computer. And so why is it that people, you know, buy that? If you think, you look at the cars driving down the street, are people buying the cheapest car? And when you walk into a shop, and this is a story from the Robert Calvini um, Laws of Influence, is there was someone that was shelling, selling blue items. They were on a, an island, and it was like a holiday destination, and none of the items were selling. So she wrote on a piece of paper for her business partner, half the price of all of the items, and I'm going to go to the market, and I'm going to get something different. Anyway, she goes away. She comes back. All of the blue items have gone, but there's more money than ever in the till. And the question is, what happened? And she asked her assistant, you know, wow, we've done such an amazing sell and all the items have gone, but I thought we'd have a lot less because of what you were selling. She's like, oh, I thought you meant double the price, not half the price. And by her doubling the price, the reason why it sold is, you know, you're on holiday, you go in, when you see jewelry that's expensive, what do you think about it? If you see a car that's expensive, what do you think about it? If you see a computer that's more expensive than the rest, what do you think about it? And you think it's better quality. And it's an assumption that society has driven us to make price equals quality. And it's so interesting. I'm selling on eBay. I'm clear, doing a big clear out at the moment and selling. And again, from a perception perspective, if you put something on cheap, 
it's like, what's wrong with it? And then, you know, if, if it's the right price, and again, you know, I think like any marketplace from a bidding perspective, it's the ultimate way of finding, you know, the price. So in terms of like the starting point, how do you decide? I was on a, on a talk recently, someone talking about public speaking. And I guess public speaking is kind of like houses, right? Everything's unique and different. It's a different road. It's near a different place. You've got, you know, again, the experience is different, what you're going to leave people with. And, you know, there was this concept of fake it till you make it. And it's like, you know, how does everyone else justify? Well, a few things you look at is, you know, when you're selling a product, it's more tangible, right? So how much does it cost? What is the input? How many man hours is involved? And then you come down to a unit price. You're like, okay. And then in retail, you kind of go, okay, it costs five pounds to make. We need to sell it for 10 pounds. And there, there you've got, you know, a natural pricing. But I think services is what's very interesting is, you know, how do you balance from a service perspective, not the cost of listing, you know, a deal on student beans, you know, there's lots of fixed costs behind it. But once we've delivered that, the, the marginal cost of an extra client isn't necessarily significant. Um, I remember as well a story about, um, I think I want to say it was uh, Picasso. He was sitting in a restaurant and he scribbled something on a serviette and the lady next to him came up and said, can, can I buy the serviette? And um, he goes, yeah, she goes, how much? Like $25,000. And she's like, yeah, but it just took you two seconds to do. And it's like, no, it took me a lifetime. And like that's, again, why Picasso, I guess, can charge. And, you know, again, when the logos are here, I guess they can't produce anymore. And why the value of those things go up and people want to pay. So there is, I know I did economics at, um, at university and at school, and you've got this supply and demand. And, you know, if you speak to the right audience, the right people, and you're adding value. So I think all of this starts in, it's where, where are you adding value? what pain are you solving and you know I guess that there is an element of what I say what you can get away with and you know if people aren't buying again eBay do this you can list seven times and every time it doesn't sell it reduces the price by five percent five percent five percent until you get to the point someone accepts my offer I charge too low because you always kind of want to push to that next bit where someone goes okay no and um, you know again interesting a couple of years ago when I started my coaching business I decided to do a pay as you value method. And this is, I guess, the ultimate vulnerability. And, you know, ultimately, you know, unfortunately, I'm in a place I'm not reliant on the money coming in from coaching. But at the same time, there needs to be a value exchange. Because if you don't, don't pay for something, they don't value it. The question is, will people turn up if it's free? But if you charge, uh, for example, an accountability deposit that you pay and you'll get it back if you attend, there needs to be some kind of exchange. And so I think you've got to lead, in my opinion, it's about leading with value and then the money will come. Okay. And so from what I got from this, there are basically these three variables, which is one's the cost, the price and the value. And because it's pretty much impossible to figure out what the actual value is for someone and asking someone this question, like, how much do you value this product is never going to give you actually a real answer. I guess you will obviously have to price above the cost and then play around with the price until you get to that sweet spot where you're like, yes, this makes sense now. I, I wanted to get to this last point that you also mentioned at the beginning and that we spoke about a while ago, which is knowing how to price your product is an art and not a strategy that you will always be able to fulfill properly, which was the case with Student Beans, monetized from the very beginning, and then Causer 
not monetized from the very beginning and cause or failed in student beans is still growing. So what do you think that is? What do you think that extra variable is that you can't always get it right? Yeah, look, there's a very specific scenario. Look, the, you know, the journey of student beans, you know, day one before we launched a website, before we even have a landing page, I remember speaking to my developers being like, I'm speaking to shops and I'm taking them to studentbeans.com and there's nothing there, not even a, the blue bean, which was our original logo saying, you know, uh, yeah, that, that it was there. So that was kind of an amazingly, I guess, brave and frustrating thing. And by the end of day one, okay, it was up. So the following day, I could, I could just show them the landing page, which made it a bit more real. But Causa is a different story. And I guess the vision behind Causa was around creating millions Millions of meaningful connections for people nearby all around the world every day. And similarly, like almost founders, for example, could have had you know, a community on Causa and there would be a group and you click on the group and it kind of acts as a filter. And then you could see anyone nearby who was part of almost founders. And we had a test app that was on, built on a web app. We had about a thousand users. And amazingly, someone did a half a million pound business deal as a result of using the app. Like it was like this essence of two random people connecting and the value being there and that's great. We wanted to then, like many of the dating apps, do a premium, free and a premium version. And the question is, there are a certain list of items that you know, people want to pay for, but at the same time, they're more engaging, so you might want to give them for free. So you've got that push-pull dynamic of like, if we give this, then it's more useful, but if we give this, then they're not going to pay. And what do people want to pay for and all of those things? We didn't have enough money to develop the app so we could have a charged for features. And I thought, okay, that's fine. Let's get it launched. Let's get it launched. And then when we launched, we had about 3,000 users and, and there were some great successes. Richard Branson wrote about us on LinkedIn saying how great this was. And there were literally some, some fantastic kind of feedback and PR. But then I was going to businesses to try and get them to pay for a license for the software. And a lot of the brands kept saying, yes, yes, yes. And it was just got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Like some companies, I met literally 10, 15 people from that company meeting after meeting, exec after exec, saying, we've been talking about this internally, this is great. And we got so close one time, but we didn't tick their compliance box. It was very, very difficult. And I, I made the decision, you know, and, and I wrote a long article actually about this on LinkedIn, and feel free to connect with me and you can see the article. But one of the reasons is like, actually going back to pricing, I could have sold what we were selling on a PowerPoint presentation before we launched. And I could have said to myself, right, I'm only going to launch if I've got commitment from one company that's paid a deposit or they started or something. And like that, I genuinely think today Causa would still exist. So, so frustrating because had I gone back and, and just applied again, and we're talking about student beans, charging from day one without even a website. And if I really took that seriously and applied that to Causa, you know, who knows? In just 16 minutes, you now know all the starting essentials that you need to get to monetization. As always, if you like this episode, share it with your founder friends who could use some help on this topic. And also, this is just the tip of the iceberg for James and he has much, much more knowledge to share with you. The link in the description will show you how to reach out to him. I am your host, Kurosh Kafari, and just like you, I'm an almost founder. <laughs>